Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm your host, Rob Carraher, and this week we are talking Minari. Our Minari has uh, kind of been a, a late surging film um, in the awards race. Uh, the fact that it has won a couple um, foreign language awards at both the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globes has probably uh, given, it, given it a little bit of a boost. But it's showing up on a lot of different awards lists for many different things. And uh, it very likely is going to score a Best Picture nomination. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, and I finally got the chance to watch it this week. Uh, the film right now is a $20 rental, uh, if you rent it on any of the major platforms. For a while, it was on A24's uh, website in their screening room, where you could, uh, if they had enough slots for a time during, or if they had enough spots in a time slot, uh, you could watch it. Um, they have moved past that now, and now it's open to anyone who just wants to pay the 20 bucks. Uh, when it was in the screening room, it was also 20 bucks. Um, and the reason I want to talk about that is because I think that this is a, an inclusive way to make sure that more people get to see some of these great films. Um, I understand that this is probably just something that uh, the, the industry is doing because of the pandemic and theaters not being open. But I have hope that some studios will continue to do this beyond uh, the pandemic, even when theaters open. Um, and the reason being is that in, in a place like Nebraska, I don't get to see as many films. Um, because I don't have every second of every single day available to me to go to the movie theaters. And when I do have time to go to the movie theaters, it has to fit within a certain time frame. That isn't always the most convenient. And that means I miss out on a lot of films. That means that I'm not giving my money to a lot of films. Um, and a lot of times those are, those are films that that probably need my money more than the big box office grabs that that I end up seeing because I end up going to the movies with other people to see movies that they want to see. And I understand that the the film industry is all about trying to to show these movies on the big screen. Yeah, I want to see them on the big screen. I would much rather watch a movie at the movie theater, on the big screen, than on my TV at home. Most of the time, I would. And when theaters open back up, I'm going to continue to do that. But I would like the option to be able to watch some of these movies that maybe don't have as wide of a release from the comfort of my home. I will pay 20 bucks because it is still the cost of going to the movies. A lot of times if I go to the movies, I end up spending uh, $10 in that, uh, on a movie ticket, and then I end up spending probably $10 in concessions. Um, or if I go with another person, even if we don't buy concessions, 
going with another person it costs you to 20 bucks and so paying that 20 bucks is not really that painful if you have somebody that you you are going with or if you usually end up buying concessions anyway when you go to the movie theaters um so I hope that we continue to get to see some of these films released and they can do it in the format that uh, Minari did with A24 where they have a screening room and there's only so many slots, um, but it, it gives you that other option. Uh, and as a amateur film critic who loves to be able to watch as many of the Oscar films as I possibly can, uh, in past years, I have not even ever been able to come close. I have a goal set for myself this year to see every single one of them, and I feel confident that I can do that because of the way that films have been released this year. Because I'm going to have access to them. And when it comes down to it, isn't that why you make films? To give access to audiences? If films are not accessible, then what's the point? I know they're trying to make money, but a lot of times, these films that aren't accessible, they're not making that much money anyway. And if you make them more accessible, then you're going to make more money. I just, I don't, I don't understand besides maybe just the, I don't know, like it, it ends up being kind of snooty if you ask me. And so I'm going to be a huge advocate for getting theaters back open and, yes, going to see movies in theaters. I'm going to be that advocate because I want theaters to stay open. Going to the theater is a experience all to itself. Getting to watch a movie with other people is an experience. Getting to see it on a big screen with great sound is an experience. But... Accessibility is a big part of uh, of cinema. Getting to have have access to those films. So I am going to be an advocate um, for continuing to have some of these these films available for a price tag of twenty dollars plus. Um, I probably wouldn't spend a lot more than twenty dollars. I know Disney's been doing some things where. Uh, they're like 30 bucks to rent it. Um, I have not done that. Uh, but I have on a few occasions done the $20 price tag. Um, and I will continue to do that if it is available to me, even after uh, we get back to the theaters. Anyway, so that's kind of my rant on that. Um, and we're going to see. We're going to see if that continues. Um, my, my gut tells me no. But they might find that uh, it, it may be worth, and some of the studios may end up deciding to do it, while others don't. And my my gut tells me that they're going to end up making um, a whole heck of a lot more. Uh, granted, the theaters aren't going to be very happy about it, because they want you to come see it in the theater. And so that's going to be one of the big problems, is getting over that hurdle of... Uh, theaters fighting back and saying, well, we're not going to carry your movie at all if you cut this deal with these video-on-demand services. So we'll see how it plays out, but uh, as a film lover, as an amateur film critic, I want access to movies. 
And it irritates me when I get to the Oscars and I didn't get to see certain movies a little bit because of time, because we didn't, uh, everything kind of comes out at once. Um, but also more so because there are certain films, specifically foreign films, um, in some of the, the smaller titles that just, they, they haven't come out by the time that, that the Oscars comes, comes around. So, um, anyway, that's my, my two cents on that topic. Um, when we come back from this break, we are going to talk about the film Minard. are back and talking about the film Minari. Minari is, uh, ultimately, it's a pretty feel-good film. Um, it, it, I, I imagine that there are going to be a lot of Academy voters that will like it. I bet there's not a ton that will will say that no nah, I didn't I didn't care for that film um, it's just it's just one of those types of films um, it it's maybe a little more subtle than than some of the other films that will be nominated but well this year it's kind of honestly it kind of uh, it it sort of feels as though a lot of the films are more like that. Um, and that makes it harder to to decide on um, what what they may end up choosing as as a best picture film. <clears throat> it it's just it, it's a weird year. That's that's all I got to say. And because of the long season, I think it makes it a little bit more difficult to uh, decide what what the academy is going to end up doing. Um, on top of that, really, we haven't seen what these different guilds uh, what they are what they have been choosing. Um, they we we've seen their nominations, but we haven't seen what they're going to pick as winners. And once that starts happening, I think we will have a little bit more of a clear idea of what is going to be a favorite. But I imagine that Minari is probably in that top three. And I think it has an outside chance of winning Best Picture. Um, it'll be a surprise because it's definitely kind of a dark horse, but uh, I, I I think there's a chance. I really do. Um, so this film by Lee Isaac Chung uh, is a film about a Korean family who is moving from California and they they are essentially trying to start their own farm in uh, rural Arkansas. Uh, and the film takes place in the 1980s. And at its very core, this is an American dream film. Uh, uh, with maybe the exception of Nomadland, this is probably one of the most American films that that this year or that the uh, for sure best picture 
films. Uh, it, it is the most American film out of that bunch. And it's interesting because it has been nominated so many times for these foreign language films. Um, and it almost seems a little unfair because there is some English, a decent amount of English in the film. Um, and so it, it seems like there's a little bit of category fraud there, um, which it will not qualify at the Oscars. So we don't have to worry about that, but, um, it, it really, really, really is this, this American, uh, American film that is about the American dream and, kind of the idea of whether the American dream is uh, as imp as important as we often make it out to be. This idea of is working hard just to prove to yourself that you can achieve the American dream is that worth sacrificing other aspects of your happiness, of your life? Um, and what is true happiness? And we see a lot of these themes being uh, really kind of uncovered as um, a way to, to really dive in to what it means to live in this country and what it means specifically to live in this country for those who maybe weren't initially from this country. And so we see, we see these events play out. This is a really, really great ensemble. Uh, kind of headlined by Stephen Yin. Um, who's probably more well-known from the uh, Walking Dead. Uh, that's where most people probably know him from. Um, but there's a great, and he, and he may get and end up getting a Best Actor nomination uh, in a little bit here. You will uh, get to hear my predictions for the nominations, which will be coming on Monday. Um and he'll, he'll probably get a nomination, or he's at least on the fringe of that. Um, but there's some really good supporting performances as well. Uh, his son, David, uh, played by a young actor by the name of Alan Kim, he could end up getting a, a supporting actor nomination. He probably won't because the Academy doesn't do that. They don't like giving nominations to young actors, but it's a really fun performance. Um, and he's probably, I would say that he's the heart of the film. Um, and it's kind of funny because that I say that because uh, his character does have a heart condition and uh, that is a concern for these characters throughout the film. But I would say that he is very much the heart of the film. Uh so Alan Kim, along with Yu Jung Yoon, um, who plays the family's grandmother, uh, the main woman in the film, Monica, who's married to Jacob, played by Stephen Yin. Um, it's her mother. 
and she comes and lives with them. And she's come coming from Korea to come live with them and help take care of the family. Uh, and we, we see these two characters, this little boy and his grandmother, who he has never met up to this point, uh, really kind of develop this relationship. And the kind of tearing down of stereotypes uh, is definitely part of the, this relationship. Um, Yu Jung-yoon, I think very well could, she'll probably get nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and she very well could win Best Supporting Actress. Um, I haven't seen all the performances that are likely to be up for this award, but hers is very good. And I, I would love to see her win this award. Um, I would be happy if she did, just simply seeing that, that performance. Uh, because she, it's just a very dynamic character. You know, we, we see some things happen throughout the, the film um, that really shows this character change. Uh, and it's an incredible performance. Um, beyond the this ensemble cast, and I think honestly part of the reason that I think this film could end up winning Best Picture is because of its ensemble cast. Uh, for whatever reason, the Academy loves giving Best Picture to a film with a strong ensemble. If you look at some of the films that have won over the past few years, uh, they they have a, a really good ensemble. Last year with Parasite, that's a very ensemble-driven film. Um, the year before, Green Book won. It's not as much of an ensemble film, but it still is at, at the same time. They, they have multiple characters that really kind of lift the, the film up. The Shape of Waters, an ensemble film. And so you, you start to kind of get this feeling that the Academy, they love going for uh, films for Best Picture that have a very balanced uh, act or very balanced acting performances. And so that makes Nomadland a little bit of an outlier because it really has one core performance with uh, a couple supporting performances. And I'm just not so sure that that fits into the Academy's wheelhouse. And so even though right now I project, I would be predicting that Nomadland is going to win just based upon what we've seen so far, uh, I would not be surprised at all to see Minari come in here and steal this. Um, the Trial of the Chicago 7 could still, too, because that is also a very, uh, very ensemble-driven film. That film just doesn't feel <laughs> like a Best Picture winner, whereas this film feels a little bit more like a Best Picture winner. There's some, it's almost a fresh take on something that, uh, that is important and... And so we're, I don't know, we're, we're going to see. But beyond just the acting, uh, this film, it has a pretty good screenplay. Uh, it's simple. I don't know that it is deserving 
of a nomination for screenplay. It still might get one, um, but because of its simplicity, it, it wouldn't make me sad to see it get left out, especially because uh, there are there are a lot of really good, uh, unique, well-written screenplays. Um, and I think this film could use just a little bit more of something. I don't know what that something is, but it could use just a little bit more of it. I liked the film as is. In fact, I don't really have a lot of bad things to say about this film. Um, it has some things absolutely phenomenally well. But I don't know that it does anything to a level where it is a standout. Like I wouldn't say any aspect of the film is going to be a decade winning type aspect. Um, but in this year, it may end up being one of the best. Um, the cinematography is very good. It's maybe a little understated, but immediately when the film opens, you you can just tell that it is a well-made film because of the way that it is captured. And some of the choices that uh, Lee Isaac Chung and his uh, director of photography choose to... Uh, some of the shots and choices they make in their, their filming of this is it's pretty well done. Um, the film is really well edited to help tell the story. Uh, we, we know what is going on without them having to straight up tell us what is going on. Um, and it's because of what Chung chooses to show us and uh, what he maybe chooses not to show us. There doesn't have to be a lot of uh, dialogue that explains what is happening. We can start to pick up on a lot of it based upon uh, great acting performances and based upon what they choose to show us. Um, in fact, a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the dialogue... Um, is maybe more scene setting, kind of setting up their environment for for these to kind of show a little bit more that uh, these are people that have not experienced a lot of the things that they're coming in contact with here in uh, in Arkansas, and uh, there's also a lot of dialogue that really captures beautifully the mind of the child. Uh, I, I don't know how many times that I said that that is exactly how a child would act or exactly what a child would say. And, and it's funny. Like Lee, Lee Isaac Chung, who also wrote the screenplay, um, he, he definitely captures a lot of that. And I think that more than anything else, more than the story or the narrative, uh, it, the ability for him to just capture those simple moments 
those simple moments of a child interacting in this world that is much bigger than them and experiencing things, uh, that to me is the most impressive. Um, I know that when when he won best uh, when when he won the award for best foreign language film at the Golden Globes and he accepted the uh, accepted the award. Um, his his daughter was there, and he he said that he made this film for his daughter. And you can see the influence. You can see the influence uh, on the film. Though that that relationship that he has with his daughter, and uh, just how tuned in to his child he is in order to create this story uh so the writing is absolutely fantastic um in addition the score is beautiful uh at times it's a little understated like i i i knew going into this film that the score was really, really well received, and almost immediately I noticed just how beautiful it is and how great it is, but I almost wanted more of it. Uh, it, it seemed like it was maybe a little underutilized, and to get a little more of that uh, maybe would have left a, um, a stronger statement uh, for specifically voters to latch on to. Um, granted, this year it seems as though Soul is going to run away with uh, original score at almost every award show that it shows up at. Um, so this didn't have a, a huge uh, opportunity, but uh, there are a lot of folks that believe this is the best score, and it might be, it very well might be. Uh, I think Soul's score um, is good. Uh, it's probably not my favorite of the year. In fact, I might actually like uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score for Mank a little bit better. Um, but it's going to win, and that's kind of all there is to that. Uh, it would be very, very, very shocking if it did not. Um, but the score by Emily uh Maseri, I don't know if that's how you say her last name. Um, I apologize. <laughs> I hate I hate sometimes getting names wrong, and um, but we just we, we just haven't talked about her a whole lot, and you don't get to hear her name said all the time. Um, but she wrote a very beautiful score here, and uh, I I still have not seen the film uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco which I heard is fantastic, but she also wrote the score for that. Um, and so I'm going to be a little bit more in tune with what she's doing now um, because she she was wonderful. She was absolutely wonderful in this. Um, like I said, overall, I loved this film. Um, I, I am giving it a four out of five stars. Uh, I have been teetering in my mind about giving it four and a half but i decided to land on four um it's very 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 close it may be like a <laughs> 4.45 or something like that and i just decided not to round up um 
it's very, very close. Uh, I, I think this is probably going to be in my top 10. Um, I feel pretty strongly about that for the year. Um, and, and I highly recommend watching it. Um, I would imagine not, it won't be too long before this is a cheaper rental, but if you want to support an independent film, um, that, that probably could use a little bit of extra money, uh, this wouldn't be a bad one to spend your 20 bucks on. Uh, maybe get, once you get vaccinated and you can spend some time with some folks, uh, go ahead and rent this movie and watch it. Watch it together with other people. Uh, it is a very worthwhile watch. Um, I promise you that it is not going to be the sort of film that you're going to leave feeling pretty depressed about. Uh, a lot of the really great films that I love, I love them, but I feel like I've been put through an emotional ringer, and uh, this is not one of those films. There are a some ups and downs, and there is a little bit of emotion involved, but you're not going to feel like you've been put through a meat grinder uh, by the end of this. So um, check it out. You can rent it right now for 20 bucks on any of the platforms uh, that you rent movies, Amazon, YouTube, Apple, any of them. Um, I imagine you can probably find it on A24 as well. Um, but pick something, see it, enjoy it, and I'd love to hear back from you about what you, what you think. When we come back from this break, I am going to be doing a pretty in-depth uh, dissection of what I believe are going to be the nominees when they are announced on Monday. All right, so stick right there, and when we return, we are going to talk Oscar nominations. Welcome back. Let's talk Oscar nominations. So, first of all, I just want to kind of start out by explaining to you how I went about this process. I am not trying to, well, if if you know who I am as a, a person, you know that I am a very data-driven uh, decision maker. And so... I created a formula um, that I applied to each category. And some categories that seem to work a little bit better than others. Um, this is the first time I've done this. And so it's a little bit experimental and we're gonna find out how well it works. Um, but the idea behind it isn't to get every single nomination correct. It is close to impossible to get every single nomination correct, just because there are so many uh, tangibles that can change the, the direction of any of these races. There's always snubs. There's always surprises. And so to try to predict those is going to leave a lot of holes in, in my predictions anyway. And so what I intended to do is to try and figure out what the most likely 
outcome is going to be based upon the information that I know. And the most information that I know are that it comes from critics groups who have already announced uh, nominations and winners, uh, the different guilds and societies that are part of the Academy, um, and who they have chosen as their favorites. Um, and then in certain instances, I am kind of going with my gut a little bit uh, when it's a little bit closer, it's a tie. Um, but mostly, um, I am letting the system kind of just tell me what, what seems like the most likely outcome based upon what we have already seen. And I tried not to allow uh, buzz that I read about from other critics um, and from different groups of people influence what my predictions were. I want the data to kind of tell me that. And so what you're going to see today, what we're going to talk about are predictions that are based upon that data. And hey, it may not end up working out great. Um, it was a lot of work. I put a ton of hours into doing research on this and, uh, and putting together these formulas and inputting that data um, to ultimately come out with what, uh, what we see here. And so what one of my next projects is going to be after this award season is over and uh, there's a little bit more downtime is going to be trying to apply some of these formulas to past results to see if it translated in that way. Um, and I may end up having to tweak some things, but the idea is that I want to get to a point where I feel pretty confident that my formula is going to spit out the best outcome. And uh, once again, it's not gonna be perfect, and I know that. Um, but I want to have a pretty high success rate, and in uh, that's where we're going to see if it happens. When it comes to actually predicting for the winners, that will end up being a little bit easier, I think, because um, there there isn't going to be as much of a shot in the dark. Uh, you don't know, uh, like when, when when they have selected certain nominated films the chances of the Academy seeing all of those films goes way up compared to the ridiculous amount of films that are um, eligible for, for any of these Oscar races. Um, and you just know that there's going to be a lot of voters that didn't see a lot of stuff um, and, and so that, that opens things up a little bit more. So the only thing I can base it off of is what I already know. So that's what you're going to see today. Now to start off, um, the predictions that I have for the shorts, they, they're terrible. I mean, like I, I have no reason to believe that these are actually going to be the, the choices. Uh, in fact, all I did was I went through and I selected the, choices that were being kind of bet on the most or picked the most and also inserted the few films that I have actually been able to see um, because a lot of these films are not available to us yet um, and 
you you can't see them, and they'll they will become available once they release the, the nominations because they'll they'll put them out um, as uh, where you can watch them all together. Um, but there are a few that have been have been that I have seen and that other people can see. And the reason that I chose those as part of my predictions is because I feel like if um, more people can see these films then there's going to be a little bit greater buzz on those and therefore that may translate a little bit more into uh, the potential for a nomination. So for best live action film, I have selected Feeling Through, which is the only of these five that I have seen. Um, and it feels like it could be very much worth a nomination. Like they, they, it's that sort of quality. So feeling through the human voice, the letter room, the present and two distant strangers. So those are my five predictions for best live action short, best documentary short. I have Colette, a concerto is a conversation. Hysterical Girl, A Love Song for Latasha, and The Speed Cubers. I have seen A Concerto is a Conversation, A Hysterical Girl, and The Speed Cubers. Um, and uh, the only one I feel fairly confident will make it in is The Speed Cubers because that's a Netflix film and I just feel like they're going to push it. Um, and so we're going to see, but, uh, I, I think that that one, that's the one I feel the most confident about out of the three that I have seen. Uh, the next category is best animated short. Um, and I have selected Burrow, Genius Loki, or Lochi, uh, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Out. And I've seen Burrow, and Burrow is really short. I'm not so sure that this is going to get in. Uh, and out of the three that I've seen, this is the one I'm least confident will get in, um, simply because it's really short and it seems a little too simple for for the Academy. But because there could be buzz on it, I'm still picking it. All right. Um, if anything happens, I love you. This is a film that is about uh, parents grieving the loss of their child who was um, killed in a school shooting. And so I think that's going to probably play pretty well to the Academy. And then the last one I've seen is Out. And Out is uh, kind of an interesting take on um, being able to, some on an individual who is trying to come out as gay to his parents. And uh, it's fantastic. And frankly, I haven't seen all of them, but right now that is my favorite. And I, uh, I hope that it wins because it's fun. It's a fun film. Like it's funny um, and it has a good message. Uh, so anyway, those are my predictions for the shorts. Once again, I could not apply my formula to that because there just isn't, there isn't enough data on these, these films. Um, and it's kind of just a shot in the dark. So I'm not that worried about them. Um, and uh, they're, they're always the hardest ones to pick. They're hard to pick even when it comes time for winners. They're the hardest ones to pick because you just don't know.
All right, so the next category I'm going to talk about is the best foreign film category. It actually shouldn't be foreign film. It's best international film. Um, best international film. So for best international film, uh, this is an interesting category because we generally at this point get to see the winner of this category winning at a lot of other places. But because Minari has qualified in this category for so many, uh, in so many places, that film has been winning. And so this is going to be a fresh batch. Um, the favorite is still another round. And I have included that in my predictions. Um, it would be stunning if another round wasn't nominated. However, the Academy has done stuff like that before, where they take the favorite in both international film and documentary, and they leave them out. And so then it's just completely, you have no idea. So I have, I have selected another round, Collective, La Llorona, uh, Quo Batis Eda, and two of us. And um, I I feel pretty good about these. Like they, this seems maybe like I'm maybe too confident in these films because uh, there's always a few that just kind of come out of nowhere. Um, but these, these five films have, they've been getting a lot of buzz and that's why it plays into my, uh, my formula so well that these are the ones that, that pop out. Um, it it's ultimately I don't think it ends up mattering because I think another round easily wins this category, um, but but I guess we're gonna find out. Uh, and and like I said, I I would be surprised if I probably if if I get all five of these correct just because the academy does weird things. But um, you never know, <laughs> you never know. We're gonna see. And I'll really, really, really be uh, behind my formula if I can get all five of these correct. All right, so let's move on to best documentary feature. And in best documentary feature, I have Crip Camp, Dick Johnson is Dead, Gunda, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Three of those are Netflix films. And I feel like Netflix this year is just kind of dominating. When you have a uh, year where they kind of are king, um, it seems like it's going to be pretty easy for them to get a ton of nominations. So Crip Camp, Crip Camp is actually a uh, produced by Barack Obama's uh, produ production company, and they won last year. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they are going to win again this year. Um, Dick Johnson is Dead has been kind of a critical favorite. Um, same with the film Time. Um, a lot of people believe Time is the actual favorite to win this category. Um, and then uh, Gunda, or Gunda, I haven't seen yet. Uh, and this is a film that I think is probably uh, going to split uh a little bit and some people are going to absolutely love it and other people are going to hate it because you basically are just watching a pig um and a pig's life 
And this is a film that is produced by Joaquin Phoenix. And I feel like uh, the Academy may get behind it a little bit because of him and because it's very much an animal rights type film, uh, getting the opportunity to, uh, to support a film that, that is, is that I think could be, um, very likely. Uh, this film is probably out of the five is the one that's getting predicted the least. Um, but my, my formula says, let's put it in. And so we're going to do it. Um, out of the five, my octopus teacher is easily my favorite. Well, I haven't seen Gundy yet, so I can't say entirely on that. But my octopus teacher is a beautiful film. Um, it's emotional. It's pretty intimate. Uh, and it is on Netflix. Uh, be prepared. You're probably going to want some Kleenex. Um, it's, it's a cool film. Uh, and I really, really hope it gets nominated. Uh, it... it almost certainly will not end up winning. I will be very, very surprised if this film ends up winning. But it is, it's great. And uh, I think that uh, you all should check that one out. All right, let's move on to best animated feature. The animated feature category is also kind of just a wacky category. Um, a lot of times they end up throwing in a movie that seems like hardly anybody has seen it. Um, and so that makes it a little bit harder to predict. Um, and I don't feel great about the five that I have here. Uh, I feel good about two of them, that two of them are going to get in. Um, but the other three, I'm not so sure. So the five that I have are The Crudes, A New Age, Onward. Soul, The Willoughbys, and Wolfwalkers. So obviously Soul and is going to be the one that I feel the most confident about because uh, I think it's going to win this category. It would be ridiculous if it didn't. Um, and then Wolfwalkers I feel pretty confident, confident about as well. Uh, the fact that Onward is another Disney movie, I'm a little bit on the fence about whether or not that's going to work out. Um, they may end up going for something kind of out there a little bit. Um, like Shaun the Sheep. Uh, Shaun the Sheep seems to be kind of a favorite of certain uh, groups. And so Shaun the Sheep could end up getting in here. Um, the Willoughbys. And Over the Moon are both Netflix films, and uh, I'm just, yeah, I feel like it's kind of a toss-up. So I'm going with The Willoughbys. I've seen The Willoughbys. Uh, it seems like it's gotten a little bit more love, and the formula says that it should win. I mean, it should make it in, not win. It should make it in. And then The Croods, uh, the fact that The Croods' previous film had made it in, um, I think that that probably bodes well for it, but once again, we will see. They don't particularly, the Oscars, um, they do nominate sequels, but uh, generally the sequels they nominate are pretty well received, um, and the Cruise just hasn't been overly well received, so we're going to find out. All right, on to best visual effects. So my five predict nominee predictions are Mank, 
the Midnight Sky, Mulan, the one and only Ivan, and Tenet. I think this is Tenet's only almost guaranteed to win. Um, although Tenet hasn't been necessarily playing well to the Academy and they're not really pushing it a ton. And I don't know if that is Warner Brothers trying to get back at Christopher Nolan um, for kind of throwing him under the bus. Uh, but they seem to have essentially quit campaigning for this film. But the visual effects are fantastic. And out of this group, it should win. Um, whether or not it does, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Mank is interesting because there's nothing in Mank that that you think, oh yeah, the, this is a high special effects um, category. But it's gotten a little bit of love, uh, and I think it, it's for some of its supporting special effects. Um, and the fact that I can't really tell too much uh, how it's being used means that it's been being used pretty well um, or at least it's uh, it's being used in a way that that isn't glaring uh, so often I I get very irritated with special effects because um, I get it CGI is maybe not supposed to be perfect but I I hate seeing a film where the CGI is so fake like it doesn't even I don't I don't know. I I think there's a lot of good CGI out there and there's a lot of really good visual effects. And so when I see bad CGI in like a film like uh Wonder Woman where I didn't think it was very Wonder Woman 1984, which I didn't think was very good, um it, it makes me appreciate special effects in in good films uh when they're done really well much much more. Um so uh, yeah, I, I guess I can kind of appreciate what the fact that they are thinking about nominating Mank here. Um, haven't seen The Midnight Sky yet, haven't seen Mulan yet, and haven't seen The One and Only Ivan. The One and Only Ivan is probably the one prediction in this category that may be a little bit out there. Um, and so we're going to see the formula says that that's the one I should choose. And so we are, we're going to go with it. We're going to see, we're going to see what ends up happening. Um, and, uh, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to see. All right. Um, best sound for best sound. I have Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Sound of Metal, in the Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I feel pretty confident about this this category. Uh, there's not many that I feel fairly good about. This one I do. I and I can't tell you exactly why. Uh, I just the the formula played out this way. And when I saw these five, I'm like, yeah, I can see these five being the five. Um, of course, you never know. I could end up being wrong, but uh, could end up being wrong. But this is one that I feel. I'm a lot more confident about. Uh, and I think that there is a very good possibility that that Sound of Metal ends up winning this. Uh, the sound in that film is fantastic. Uh, and, and it would be very, very worthy of winning that. 
So those are my five for sound. Um, all right, best song. Best song. <laughs> best song is, once again, another crapshoot. Um, yeah, do not feel confident about this at all. Feel confident about two of them. Um, the rest could be anything else. So uh, the five I chose are Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, Husevic from Eurovision Song Contest, Scene from The Life Ahead, and Speak from One Night in Miami. Um, speak, or not Speak, Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Uh, speak Now and Scene are the two that have won already at Critics' Choice and uh, the Golden Globes. So I think they're in. I think those two are going to be in. Um, I'd be surprised if those two were not. Um, the other three, um, once again, they're showing up on the, they showed up on those lists uh, and we're just kind of going with it. Um, it's just one of those categories where you just don't know. Um, and so I fully anticipate that this category could be very wrong. Um, it's hard. The formula doesn't work as well in that category. Same thing a little bit with best score. Uh, just there isn't enough data out there. And the thing about music is the they don't have a guild that gives an award out like some of these other guilds. And so you don't get a feel for where they're headed. Um, and getting kind of a a feeling for what the people of the academy like so here are my five mank the midnight sky minari news of the world and soul soul is going to win this cat or it should win this category um which is it has been it's the favorite uh and and so we're gonna see <laughs> uh but the others um they, these are probably pretty good guesses, but I, I could see any of them getting pulled. Um, I could see all of them being there. Um, so I just stuck with the formula, and we are going to see how that one plays out. All right, let's go ahead, and we're going to move along. Um, best production design. I have Emma, Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, News of the World, and Tenet. Um, Tenet's getting, I have Tenet getting in here. I feel like if, if the word on the street is that they are not really campaigning for the film, that it may not end up being Tenet. <laughs> and, uh, but the formula says to put it in. So we're going to keep it in there until, uh, we really kind of see what happens. Um, I'm just going off of what I have. This is Manx to lose. Uh, I don't think Mank is going to lose. I think this is the, Mank is going to win this category. Um, Emma being included, that might be a little bit of a shot in the dark. Um, but I think think the other two, I feel feel fairly good that they're going to make it in. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and News of the World. Um, and I might be a little bit more positive about News of the World than some of the other... Uh, predictors out there the other oscar folks 
Um, but I feel like News of the World is going to have a pretty big day, uh, especially below the line, meaning those categories that are more technical and aren't like the big ones. Um, News of the World just seems like it, it should uh, do fairly well there. All right. Let's move on to best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, there is a decent amount of data for this because uh, best makeup and hairstyling, they give out a lot of different awards based upon whether a film is contemporary, a period piece, um, or if it has more of kind of a uh, special effects type feel. Um, and the, the, Academy, when it comes to makeup and hairstyling, same thing with costuming. It, they love more fan, like fantasy and uh, period piece type films. So the films that I have selected are Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Pinocchio. Um, and I feel like these all will have a really good shot at, at being the, the nominees. Um, I, I feel fairly good about these five. Uh, once again, one of those categories where I feel stronger about it than I do many of the categories, especially some of these um, below-the-line technical categories where funky things can happen. All right, the next... Category is Best Film Editing, and I have The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, Best Film Editing is uh, generally a category that in order to win Best Picture, it's really hard to do so without a nomination for best film editing there haven't been too many winners that haven't been at least nominated for best film editing um and so we see some of the favorites here um i don't have minari in there um and that could be problematic for minari if they don't end up with one but uh with nomadland and the trial of the chicago seven being in there um that that Makes you, I mean, that seems very, very likely. Um, the Father is interesting because uh, it, it hasn't, it is, isn't going to show up a lot of places um, in the nominations. Well, it may not. Uh, if, if it has a really good day, it probably is going to get nominated for Best Picture. Um, you'll see here in a little bit. I do not have it in my Best Picture nominations. Um, but it's the, it's kind of one of those sneaky films because of the way that it has been released that uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say whether or not it's going to sneak in. Um, and I would not be surprised at all to see it do so. So we're going to see. Um, but I do have it in there for film editing. Um, best costume design. I have Ammonite, Emma, Mank. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Mulan. All period pieces, uh, and with maybe the exception of Mulan, which is kind of a fantasy type film. But these very well all could be 
this could be our our not our five nominations. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see those five. All right, for best cinematography, this one's a little funky because Cherry, I have Cherry in there, so I have Cherry, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I concluded Cherry because it got nominated for the American uh, Cinematographers Society. Our uh, American Society of Cinematographers uh, Awards. They nominated Cherry as one of their best films for cinematography, um, which means to me, or this means that the film got out there. Apple is doing a good job of getting this film out there. Um, you're not going to see hardly any other pundit include this film. But my formula says you need to do it. The problem with this is, though, that there isn't a lot of data on cinematography. Um, and that makes it a little bit more difficult to, to predict this. Um, so we're going to see. Uh, but I could, I could see it sneaking in there. Uh, we're going to see how good of a campaign uh, Apple has been able to, to really put out some of their films. Um, they're still pretty new to this, uh, to this game. And so uh, it takes a little bit. It took Netflix a while to get there, and Netflix seems to be rolling now. Um, and so we're going to see if Apple can get their foot in the door. And I have them predicted for some things that uh, a lot of other folks do not have, and the data just seems to, to support that. So um, this is going to be nomads, nomad lands to lose. Once again, News of the World is showing up there. Trial of the Chicago 7, even though the cinematography isn't uh, lauded as being the best, it has a good cinematographer. And so um, this could be this could be our five. We're going to find out. All right. Um, best original screenplay. I have Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think this could be it. I feel pretty good about this, actually. Um, there could be some sneaky other films that, that pop in there, but uh, um, I feel pretty good about this one. I don't have a lot to say about it. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be between Promising Young Woman and Trial of Chicago 7 for who's the winner. Not ready to make a prediction on that yet. But let's move on to Best Adapted Screenplay. All right, so for Best Adapted Screenplay, I have The Father, First Cow, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Nomadland, and One Night in Miami. We haven't seen a lot of One Night in Miami here. Um, I'm getting nervous for that film. I'm not so sure that it's going to be in, in great shape. Uh, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But... Um, I am including it here. Uh, we're going to find out. I think anytime that you adapt a play, it makes it a little easier to get an adapted screenplay nomination, especially if it's done well. So both Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami, um, they both they both were adapted from a play, and that, that bodes well for them here. Um, I did include First Cow. First Cow uh, might be kind of that surprise, and I think a lot of people would be happy to see First Cow here, as this would be its only only nomination. 
All right, so let's move on to Best Supporting Actor. Um, I have Chadwick Boseman for The Five Bloods, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Bill Murray for On the Rocks, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Um, so the big surprise here is Bill Murray. Uh, I feel fairly good about the other four. Um, there's some folks that don't think Chadwick Boseman's getting in because he is going to win Best Actor um, for for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And Defy Bloods has not been very well received by uh, the Academy up to this point, um, or the a lot of these groups. But... Um, I think it's going to happen. I think he's still going to get in. I think that the Academy is going to be looking to try to reward him where they can because this is their last opportunity to do so. And so I think he will be in. Now, the Bill Murray one is interesting. Um, the formula said to put him in. Uh, I am probably one of the few people predicting this, um, but I can see it happening because he is a well-known name. He's been nominated before. Um, we're going to see, this is another Apple film. We're going to see how well they push this. Uh, I'm putting a lot on Apple uh, to get some of these some of these uh, kind of fringe films out there. Um, and so we're going to go with Bill Murray and we're going to see what happens. Um, I also have Leslie Odom Jr. included here. Uh, I think he is a lock, um, but... This is going to be, I think, the only other nomination that I have for One Night in Miami after that supporting or that uh, adapted screenplay. Um, I just, I, I feel like it didn't have enough in the tank. Just feel like it didn't have enough in the tank. And I, I, Amazon tried. They pushed the film really hard. Um, but... I, I, yeah, I just don't think it's going to get there all the way. Um, so that will be, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot One Night in Miami also has a song. That was my bad. Um, and that's its best chance to win. I think that that's its best chance to win, and it should at least get that one win. All right, let's talk Best Supporting Actress, which is the most dramatic category out of all the categories. The most dramatic because nobody knows what it's going to be, and there are no real locks. Like we don't, we just do not know. Um, right now, I have Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman. Um, all right, I'm going to say them again. Maria Bakalova for Borat, a subsequent movie film. Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for The Father. Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Jung Yong for Minari. Um, those are the ones I feel most confident about. Uh, Jodie Foster is the other one because she won the Golden Globe um, that people feel like uh, she could get in. I think it's going to be these five. Um, I feel I it's a gut feeling. Um, and the data shows this. Uh, and I'm going to go with it. 
could be terribly wrong. There may even be some others that end up coming in here. But this is the one that nobody knows. And certainly we don't have know who's going to be the favorite. Uh, Glenn Close. I think the Academy really wants to give, give Glenn Close the Oscar. But this film just has not been well received. Hill, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, and so, I don't know. We're going to see. Um, she may end up getting it. They may just decide, all right, let's do it this year. Rip the Band-Aid off. She may not have too many more Oscar-worthy performances left in the bag. Um, so let's do it. Um, we're going to find out. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that, uh, what that ends up being. All right, let's talk Best Actor. Best Actor. I have Riz Ahmed from The Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins from The Father. Gary Oldman from Mank. And Steven Yun from Minari. I feel good about those five. I do. Maybe not so much that last slot for Steven Yun. It could be somebody else because that performance is definitely not worthy of winning Best Actor. Um, and so... It's good. It's not amazing. There's better performances out there, but I just feel like Minari has a lot of love and support, and so he's going to get in on that. I think that there's a good possibility of that being the case. All right. Best Actress. Best Actress. I feel very confident that these are the five. I don't know who's going to win, but I feel very confident these are going to be the five. And I have Viola Davis, Andra Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. Right now, I think Carrie Mulligan is the favorite. Frances McDormand was great, but I think uh, the Academy is going to be looking to give somebody else the, the Oscar this year, since they've given a lot to her. Um... I think Andre Day potentially could surprise here. And you know what? Viola Davis could too. I would be surprised if it's Vanessa Kirby. I don't know why, but I would be. I haven't seen the film yet. but uh, So it's Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andre Day in the U.S., uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman. Frances McDormand in Nomadland. And Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. All right, feel good about that. All right, Best Director. For Best Director, I have Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Well, I also feel very good about these five. These are the Directors Guild five. Um, that doesn't happen very often, but uh, but you know what? This year feels like these are the five. Um, I could see a few of these being switched out, but uh, this is Chloe Zhao's to lose. She's going to win Best Director for this film um, for Nomadland, and uh, so it's a little pointless <laughs> to nominate really anybody else. I mean, it's not because it is an honor to be nominated, but um, this is Chloe Giles to lose.
I think she's got it in the bag. All right. <laughs> that leaves us with Best Picture. Best Picture is a little challenging because they can nominate anywhere between five to ten nominees. I think starting next year, they're going to have to nominate ten because they want to really be inclusive. But you have to receive 5% of the vote in order to be included in this uh, in this category. Um, most years we've had eight or nine nominees. I have predicted eight. And I have predicted Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, in the Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay, so I have left out One Night in Miami. There are a lot of folks that believe that's in. Um, that would be my ninth film. If there are nine, I'm putting that in. I have also left out The Father. The Father... You could see the father has quite a few nominations, um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it just the data doesn't show that it's because it hasn't been, it hasn't been popping up in a bunch of places. Um, I feel like it's getting it going to get into a bunch of lower categories, um, but it's not probably going to win anything. It just, it, it's going to sneak into some of these categories. It's just not the favorite of a lot of folks. So I, I have a hard time believing that that 5% are going to put it in their top five. But I might be wrong. Um, that would be one of my alternates. Uh, I also have left out Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah is interesting. It got nominated for the Producers Guild Award. Um, and with Daniel Kaluuya, who very likely to win Best Supporting Actor for this film. Um, I thought maybe it could carry its way into Best Picture, but obviously because of the late start uh, that it got and uh, just hasn't shown up on a lot of lists, I can't with confidence put it in my top my top ten. It's not it's not even really that close, um, and so I could see it sneaking in here. But uh, as of right now, I feel like it's safer to leave it out just because it doesn't have a lot of uh, love in other places. And when it doesn't have that love, to get 5% um, of the Academy's top five votes, I just don't think it's going to be in a lot of folks' top five. So, um, you know, <laughs> this is where we're at. And uh, I think it's going to get left out. Um, so I actually have, I have One Night in Miami as my ninth film, but I actually have The Five Bloods as my, my number 10 film. And it's been, it's been left out in a lot of places. Um, it seems a little dead in the water. Uh, some, some folks feel like it's not going to get nominated for anything. Uh, I still think the Bozeman, uh, nomination is likely, um, and the fact that it got nominated at SAG means to me that 
you can't count it out because the acting guild is or the acting branch of the academy is the largest branch um, when you have four awards that are dedicated to you um, of course it's going to be the largest branch and um, they nominated nominated it for ensemble uh, so to completely count it out would be foolish um, so right now I have it as my number 10 I have it as my number 10 um, and I think that uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I have Judas and the Black Messiah as my number 11. And then the Father's way down the list. Um, so we're going to see. We're going to see. But I think it's going to be eight. I think it's going to be those eight. Mank, Maureen's Black Bottom, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So that is it for this show today. Um, I know I talked a ton. Um, I hope that you found it interesting. Um, and uh, I can't wait to talk about the actual nominations next week. We're going to talk about the actual nominations. Um, and they're, they're going to be announced on Monday morning. So be looking for that. Um, I'll be posting some things on our uh, on our, our Facebook page so that you can kind of follow along there. I'll be posting stuff on my Twitter. Um, so you can be following along there. Um, but, uh, yeah, be kind of looking out for all of that. Uh, it's an exciting time of year. We still got about six weeks to go until the actual Oscar night. Um, but we're going to have, uh, a lot of these guilds are going to be announcing their awards, uh, their award winners over the next few weeks. And so the shape of the race is going to start to take form. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a, a roller coaster. I think, um, I'd like to think that maybe Nomadland's going to coast there, but I know better than that, uh, because I've seen, I've seen films this far out completely lose it in some other film comes in and, and steals their thunder. So we're going to see. Um, next week, we're going to be doing a review of another round. So that is going to be on March 19th. Um, I will be doing a review of that film. Uh, the following week on March 26th, I will be doing a review of Pieces of a Woman. Um, the, the following week after that, I will be doing a review of The Father. That's on April 2nd. On April 9th, we'll be doing Hillbilly Elegy. That is if it gets nominated for something. If it's not, then we may sub that out. Um, and then on April 16th, we'll do an Oscars shorts show. An Oscar shorts show. Uh, so by that time, we should have all of the Oscar shorts available to us. So we'll do a show on that. And then on April 23rd, we're going to do our Oscars show. It'll be all things getting ready for the Oscars. I'll give my predictions. I'll give my favorites of the year. Um, it's going to be a fun deal. Um, I can't wait for that. Um, I can't wait for the next few weeks. We're in the stretch. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing it with all of you. Um, so tune in next week when we talk about another round. Thank you and have a great week.